1: Close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to The Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to The Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brendan Store. I'm Paul Bestow. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 125. And we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. How you doing, Paul? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I, I've uh, been back rock climbing. I'm oh yes. Still in a great deal of pain, but not as much as I have been.
2: So progress. Excellent, excellent. So you have different muscles screaming at you now.
1: Yeah, that's more or less. That's more or less what's happened. Hmm. They they taught me how to use the machine that lowers you down on automatically so I no longer have to endanger the lives of anyone good and so it's yeah with well, the great thing about that is is because I'm so shit at it still I don't have to have anyone watch me be shit at it so that's that's really the key <laughs> being quantumly shit are you really shit if no one can see you
2: exactly you're your own worst enemy there and therefore think positive you can no longer be shit
1: i'm going to try that hasn't mm-hmm. worked yet these 38 years but hope springs eternal I've been looking forward to the show because on this episode, we're going to be telling stories from sort of Northern-ish California. I know there's a lot of people who like to debate exactly where Northern California starts. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, whatever your position is, we're wrong, but that's okay because I don't care. <laughs> the reason we're doing it is because we have a, we have a musical guest, which we'll, we'll get to in a minute, but that sort of got us started. And we had this massive Slack channel. That Luke had been putting together about California as a whole, and we've done three LA episodes, but never really ventured further north, which really is sort of like Bigfoot country. And uh, yeah, I figured that'd be that'd be <laughs> relevant to your interests. There's Mount Shasta, which is a hot spot for missing 411 cases. So lots of weird stuff happening in Northern California. Before we get going, though, I actually wanted to share a, a series of uh, little synchronicities with you. We, you and I were talking about synchronicities off air in reference to the film Constantine. Yes. Uh, we're not going to mention which comic arc specifically came up.
2: But, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, let's just say it's a very dark and earthy comic, and we were talking about – well, I was talking about some of my more stranger memories of that comic.
1: Yes. There are some rough storylines. Yes. Woof. <laughs> So yeah, so the thing I was going to tell you about was um, last week, I, f- I had finally organized the patron calls. And for those of you who don't know, for patrons at the $50 level and above, you get uh, th- monthly or the option of, you don't it's not mandatory, uh, <laughs> the option of a monthly 30-minute Zoom call with me. And so we just st- finally started got, getting those set up, and I, I was chatting to a couple patrons. And our patron, April, was telling me some of her sleep paralysis stories. Well, what's interesting is earlier that morning, I had been contacted by a friend of mine from Revelstoke who shared a sleep paralysis experience Mm. with me. It happened the night before. He said he'd woken up just before 5 AM after hearing something with a a really heavy footstep and a wheezing, rattling breath, come down the hall to his room, open his door and stand over him as he lay there. Mm. But when he woke up, he was lying on his side and his door was closed. There's been, he said, an escalating series of strange events in his house, but this was sort of the most dramatic thing that had happened. Mm. And so hearing April's story, I thought, oh, weird, I'm hearing two stories of sleep paralysis in one day. But then it clicked in my head. I had had a weird experience at almost exactly the same time as my friend had. Because my, my usual shtick is I fall asleep on the couch,
3: mm.
1: usually with a cat in my lap because she, she likes that. That's her like early evening thing is she has to fall asleep on my lap. And then I wake up about, usually about three or four, and then I go finish the rest of my night in bed. Well, that night I woke up and I was about, maybe about three quarter to four woke up, put on the dishwasher, climbed into bed. Now, of course we live in an apartment, we're on the ground floor, you you hear noises. So typically most noises I just write off, but as I lay there in bed, I'm just about to, to pass out and I hear something smash in the living room. And not like someone slammed the, the lobby door, not like someone outside did something or someone next door did something. This was close mm. and I wasn't asleep enough for it to be exploding head syndrome. This was just, this was something crashed. So I got up and my, my adrenaline spiked too, which is unusual. Cause usually if I hear a weird noise at eh, cats, whatever, but for some reason my adrenaline spiked. So I had to get up, walk around the apartment. Nothing was disturbed. Not a single mm. thing. So eventually I thought, okay, well, it's fine. Went back to sleep, but this happened about four 30, which was roughly around the same time as my friend had his experience. And as I was telling all of this to Nikki, the following day, when she got home from work, she sort of looked at me agog and, and I said, well, what's, what's up? And she said, I had nightmares all last night about things happening in Revelstoke. Ooh. She had these n- nightmares about homes tumbling into the earth in Revelstoke. And obviously nothing, that, nothing like that has happened, but it's kind of interesting that it all happened the same night. And roughly, again, she woke up shortly after I fell asleep, she woke up. So all kind of around the same time, these three people all sort of connected to this, this place and all kind of connected in life, having this weird little run of, of uh, coincidences. And I, I don't know that it means anything, but whenever that stuff pops up, I'm always, I'm always interested.
2: When was the last time there was an earthquake in Revelstone?
1: I, we don't get them because we have a giant dam, so that would be very bad.
2: Oh. <laughs>
1: yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, 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 if that dam is no more, I believe the town would quickly follow suit. Mm. Uh, it is a large, a large dam. So let's not entertain that question any further.
2: Okay, let's move on.
1: So like I said, we have a musical guest on this episode. That is Brian Kelly. And Brian performs under the name Oceanography. And I had Brian on my other show, to the Truth, with Brennan Store, which is, of course, my, my non-paranormal chat show. And I'm a really big fan of his stuff. His latest album, 13 Songs About Driving Nowhere in Alphabetical Order, just dropped in September. His song, Painted Powder Blue, is going to be the song that we feature in the bumpers. And as I also mentioned, this episode was inspired by that because Brian wrote most of that album as he drove the roads of Northern California, Uh, over the course of the last year, helping uh, take a family member who was sick and has now passed on back and forth to their medical appointments and and things Mm. like this. So that really informed the tone of the album. And so many of the lyrics are so descriptive of those places Mm. that I thought we need to, yeah, we need to explore the the shadows of the golden state. So again, the song is Painted Powder Blue. The album is 13 songs about driving nowhere in alphabetical order. You can find that everywhere you stream your music or at oceanographymusic.bandcamp.com. But first, we have to thank our patrons.
3: This one's for the patrons. Patrons,
1: you are the San Francisco to our Oakland, or (laughs) the Oakland to our San Francisco, if you find that offensive. I don't know. I don't really know the area that well or how people feel about these things, but without you, we're not the same, is what I'm saying. As always, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but right now we're going to specifically thank our latest patrons. They are... Jared Rodriguez. Janine Atyami Jason R. Slaughter Amy Jacobs
2: Ian Arnold
1: and Leandra Branham Thank you so, so much from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. Again, we couldn't do the show without you and it means a ton that you guys would support us. If you want to join the team we'll tell you about all the cool shit you get at the end of the show but for now we'll just say if you want to avoid the ads and who doesn't, ads suck head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys and for a dollar a month you get an ad-free feed. And that's patreon.com slash guys. If you want to skip ahead to the stories, head to the 19 minutes and 35 seconds mark. All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll be right back with the Golden State Shadows. Welcome back. As we said on this episode, we're going to be telling stories from northern-ish California, northern-ish slash slightly central California. We're not going as far as Modesto. We're not savages. But uh, <laughs> before we get to the stories, Paul, you did some digging. You have some uh, some really interesting stuff from that area.
2: Yeah. Well, obviously, as, as we touched on in the beginning, um, for me, it's it's one of the, the Bigfoot hotspots. Obviously, Northern California, Willow Creek. Site of uh, many uh, an intrepid Bigfoot lover. One of the first port of calls they'll always make is down to Willow Creek and stuff like that. So all the kind of northern area is uh, Bigfoot hotspots. I mean, there's a couple of trails up there that are specifically called the Bigfoot Trails. Oh, really? Just, you can just drive for 300 miles on one of them, I think. Oh, Jesus. And you just go through everywhere. There's another one, which is a hiking trail. Right. Um, which takes you to all the great areas. But they've said, oh, because it's so badly maintained, it may take you seven months to complete it. Jesus Christ. So yeah, yeah, that's one on the bucket list. I'll start with one of my favorites, which is quite a recent one uh, from Klamath uh, in Northern California, which has uh, two rather strange Bigfoot stories. One is one of those stories that seems to have grown in recent years where a woman went camping in a campground there back in the 70s And it seems that the original story is true, but it seems that in the modern era, it's become more fictionalized. And someone seems to be telling this story who isn't the person it happened to. Oh, okay. So apparently this woman decides to go camping on her own in the middle of the woods, as you do. And um, she was dragged through the woods, allegedly by a Bigfoot. Okay. Inside her tent for several miles before she managed to escape. Now, it did happen, but they're not sure. It's either the late 70s or the early 80s. But the version that people see now doesn't seem to bear resemblance to the to the situation that happened. The version now seems to be a female reenactment of the Albert Osman case, which is when he was famously kidnapped by a Bigfoot that wanted to allegedly marry him to his daughter. Yeah,
1: I, I was just going to say that's one of the few Bigfoot cases I'm actually aware of just because... Man is forced to bang Bigfoot is not the kind of thing you forget.
2: Yeah, and only escapes thanks to tobacco and coffee. Gets them every time. So yeah, so it's a bit of a strange one. Whereas the other one is a fairly recent one where, uh, once again in Klaneth, so I don't know what's in the water there, um, might be Bigfoot pee.
1: Could be the fluoride according to Dave Mustaine of Megadeth. I'm sorry, that's very obscure. I've been listening to a lot of Megadeth lately. (laughs) Just move on, move on. (laughs) sorry I'm gonna leave that in just so you listeners know how fucking weird I am but yeah that no that has that's gonna make sense to only my brain and my brain alone please continue it's okay I just
2: thought we'd gone back to 1986 there and um, (laughs) never one man rang the police in 2019 he was furious he was really angry and he wanted the police to get their asses there straight away and he basically just berated the 911 caller until the police eventually arrived. He claimed to have been assaulted on the phone. When the police turned up, he said he'd fought off Sasquatch who was welding an axe and they'd had a fight. Okay. And uh, the best thing about the police report was the final line says, this wasn't a case of mental illness, purely intoxication.
1: (laughs) I want to know what kind of intoxicants make me think I just axe fight (laughs) Bigfoot because I need to get me some of that.
2: So yeah, it, Northern California just seems to be very strange. There's all kinds of weird things. It's also, um, you could kind of say it's the birthplace of the New Age movement. Interesting. How so? Because uh, one of the many stories about Mount Shasta is one from a gentleman called Guy Ballard, okay. who decided one day in 1930, he was going to have a walk up, up there. If you've ever seen a picture of him, he doesn't look like the kind of chap that should be climbing mountains, but that's just my personal opinion. Anyway, <laughs> as he was there, he, he got into a little bit of difficulty as he decided not to take any provisions with him whilst climbing a mountain, and yeah. so began to feel a bit thirsty. And at this point, he allegedly met the infamous Count of Saint-Germain. Okay. Do you know who the Count of Saint-Germain is? I do not. The Count is a notorious figure in European history and folklore. He was a man of mystery with no real sort of background. He just appears in the mid-18th century. Uh, Well-read, extremely intelligent, knows things about all kinds of aspects of life, from finance to politics to international travel. He was well-versed in... So many subjects, people didn't understand it, could speak several languages fluently. People recognized him from being children, but this man was, couldn't possibly be the same person. He was far too young. So basically, people began to think he may be immortal or an alchemist or whatever. And he traveled the courts of Europe. Anyway, since then, he did officially die, I think, 1784 is when he's supposed to have died. Say so supposed. Right. From this point onwards, a whole litany of theories and other versions of his life have appeared that now claim he's immortal. And Count Saint-Germain has been wandering the earth ever since, just popping up all over the place. And Guy Ballard claimed to have met him and had such a profound impact on him that he formed the I Am Movement, which became one of the precursors of what we now call New Age philosophy. No shit. So yeah, it's all happening at Mount Shasta. But yeah, it's 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 a crazy place. And um obviously with it being the ghost story, guys, I just want to mention my one of my favourite ghosts in do. California entirely is a wonderful one that hangs around the Ferndale Repertory Theatre in the town of Ferndale. And this is Bertha. The thing about Bertha is she's a shape-shifting cat, and she's quite a talented. Shape shifting cat, by all accounts. So, not only will she often appear during performances, wandering the aisles to give her thumbs up or paws up, she's seen as a sign of good luck if she's seen during a a production or an opening night. She also has a tendency to lock people in the toilet for no reason, both men and women. And also, Bertha is also very helpful as she apparently will answer the phones in the theatre. When it's closed,
1: interesting. Does she take messages, or or what's you know what does she do to help?
2: Uh, allegedly, I've I've seen a couple of stories. Some have just said there's fully breathing, whereas another one says they could hear meowing, but there isn't <laughs> a cat in the theater.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Whether a cat's just got in and knocked the phone off as it was ringing, and went wow wow
1: I don't know. That's fascinating. What's actually that kind of lines up with a story from the uh, Ghost of the Ghostlight. Mm. episode because amanda woomer in her book uh, ghost of the ghost light theater there's they have a similar thing where someone will answer the phone and breathe mm. but it's not anyone at the theater
2: yeah 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 there's a famous ghost cat at the theater in london as well really mm. who's once again his arrival is seen as a sign of good fortune
1: fascinating what what other uh, northern
2: california goodies do you have for us I mean obviously you've got more Bigfoot sightings than you can shake a stick at really it's just the the beginning from sort of Sacramento upwards into Oregon right. and then into Washington it's it's basically the line on the on the west coast where Bigfoot central starts so there are just so many witnesses stories experiences if if you're ever going to do you you sort of bigfoot trip in that in the northwest corner of the US, that's where you'll start and it's best place to go because you just spoilt for choice right, once you get right. sort of from Willow Creek upwards. Then you can just kind of go out from there, obviously avoiding a few of the um, other business interests that are <laughs> allegedly yes. in those areas. Yes, apparently.
1: That reminds me just before we head to the stories of that great story that Sam Sheeran told on mm. episode 111 where he was at a I think a bar up in that area with a friend and some stranger basically walked in and saw them, put a giant handful of marijuana <laughs> in front of him and said, welcome to Northern California. And then that was just walked <laughs> off.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Most places offer you a bowl of nuts, but not a Big
1: old sweaty handful of weed. Mmm. Well folks, <laughs> we, we don't have a big old sweaty handful of weed for you, but we do have some great ghost stories from Northern California. It's about time for those. The Nightmares Because of the nature of my experience and certain occurrences in my past, let me first start with a little backstory on myself, since I'm unsure if what happened to me was a true haunting associated with a building, or just me. Ever since I was a child, I've had some weird experiences. At a very young age, my mother says several times she caught me apparently talking to someone in a room when I was the only one present. When she asked me who I was speaking with, I answered, Didi. Which was the nickname of my great grandfather who passed away while my mother was pregnant with me. I also suffered some pretty intense nightmares as a child. Every once in a while, I would get up in the morning feeling perfectly normal, but then my parents would tell me that I awoke in the middle of the night screaming hysterically from some sort of nightmare. In my teenage years, I would occasionally have very intense nightmares that, as soon as I would awake, I would forget what I was dreaming instantly, but would then be very emotionally distraught and confused for several hours afterwards. Now, fast forward to about six, seven years ago. I moved into a small one-bedroom apartment in Sacramento, in a complex on the corner of Watt Avenue and Whitney. I cannot remember the apartment number I was in, but I could probably dig it up in my records if I really can to. Anyways, almost instantly, I got the creepy-crawly feeling from the small bedroom. It only took a few nights of sleeping in the bedroom to realize I was experiencing a lot of nightmares, which jolted me awake several times each night, and I also had started getting a lot of sleep paralysis. Each time, I would awake to find that I could not move my body whatsoever, and several times I felt like there was a presence in the room with me when this happened. I did some reading up on sleep paralysis and just thought it might be my mind not turning on my motor skills quick enough when I was waking. However, the nightmares continued to the point that, one night, I was so upset with not being able to escape the nightmare each time I fell back asleep that I moved to the hide-a-bed on the couch in the living room. I slept the remainder of the night without incident. I continued to sleep on the hide-a-bed nightmare-free until I began getting a sore back from a bar in the hide-a-bed, so I went back to the bedroom. I wasn't even asleep an hour or two when everything started happening again. For months, I played this game of sleeping on the couch until my back hurt to the point where I would say screw it and go back to the bedroom. Then the nightmares and sleep paralysis would drive me back to the couch. Towards the end of my six-month stay in this apartment, I experienced two extremely frightening and weird things in that bedroom. The first, I was dreaming about sitting with my parents at their home. It was sunny outside, but suddenly things went dark, and then it was as if something came crashing into their house, and the roof crashed down on me. At this point in the dream, I awoke screaming, and then quickly noticed that I felt like I'd been punched in the nose pretty hard. In fact, I was bleeding slightly from my nose. I moved back to the couch this night for sure. The second incident, I awoke in the bedroom lying on my side. As I went to move and roll onto my back, it instantly felt as if someone was laying behind me in bed with their arms wrapped around my torso, pinning my arms to my side and squeezing tight. This force pushed me back onto my side, would not let me move. I lay there not totally sure if I was awake or asleep and dreaming, but eventually I was able to move again after an unknown amount of time. Obviously when my lease was up, I moved out. Since I moved out, I still continue to get the occasional nightmare now and then, but Nothing as intense as I experienced there, and I've also not had any episodes of sleep paralysis since. Since then, I do still see weird things here and there, but nothing like I did in that apartment. I think at a point, it became more frustrating than frightening. I was getting really mad that I was paying for the place and not able to sleep comfortably in the bedroom. One, that would piss me off because rent is expensive pretty much wherever you go these days. <laughs> and two, like, I like sleeping on the couch. I hate sleeping on hide beds I don't know what sadist designed a beds, but they they have every feature short of out and out nails.
2: I suspect that what you're describing is what we
3: would call here a settee bed. Yes. That that sounds right.
2: Yeah, they're not the most comfortable of things. And they're usually quite dangerous to pull out because it seems to want to eat you. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, like you told me the story about nearly losing your fingers earlier. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like that every time.
2: Yeah. Strangely enough, the last time I was I was I was stopping at a friend's in London and that shot in my hand. Jesus. And it's like one in the morning. I'm like, rah, rah. you know what I mean? we <laughs> have got a small child and I'm effing and jeffing. I'm <laughs> thinking, can I possibly offer this furniture out for a fight?
1: Without waking anybody. <laughs> if there's anyone I know who would and could fight a sofa, it is you, Paul Bessel. It is you. Yes.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time.
1: The sleep paralysis thing is is really interesting. And that's one of the reasons I I, I selected this story, just because it's so, it's come up a lot recently for me, as as I mentioned in in the intro. Also, I've interviewed two different authors now on largely the Truth, and both of them have suffered sleep paralysis. And what's really interesting is, I think, we haven't really had a chance to kind of dive into it, but one of them, it was almost like something uh, oozed out of the light fixture Mm. above him. He was laying in bed. And he said he looked up, and he's had sleep paralysis before, but this was new. And he said it was almost like something, yeah, like it, like the, like the ceiling above him started to bow in, like something was was filling up the light, mm. and then it kind of dropped on him. And he took that experience and he folded it into one of his stories, and I think it's one of the most effective stories in the book. Uh, the author's Mike Thorne. Mm. The story the story is called Havoc, but yeah, and and I just uh, just released a show where I talked to the author Brianna Morgan and she also had pretty severe sleep paralysis experiences and what's interesting for her is it seemed to be tied to stress mm. and so i know a lot of people try to dismiss that they say okay you know your your body's just sort of misaligned right you're you're not waking out of sleep properly because of all the stress but i wonder because in this story here you know this person they were fine sleeping on the couch but it's when they went to the bedroom yeah the problems occurred and you and i were talking off air about that uh BBC show that Danny Robbins is doing uncanny mm-hmm. and I believe they one of the first episode mm. involved sort of a thing where you know if they're lying this person was like sitting in bed and whenever they were sitting in bed they were seeing something in the room with them
2: is yeah. that correct yeah 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 well both him and his flatmate they were having the same experience
1: right 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 in different and rooms I'm, and I just wonder what is it about the room? You know, is it, I know we like to say the room's haunted, but I wonder, is that necessarily the case? I've always wondered, if, or I've started to wonder if there's sort of a an angle component to this. Like, um, I, I don't know what you'd call it, but, you know, if there is something about certain positions and certain rooms that combine to make you vulnerable to these things.
2: Mm, like a kind of paranormal feng shui. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it.
2: I wouldn't be surprised I I would be interested to to see if that kind of situation happens if you'd got the ability to you know reposition your bed or change your change the furniture around and see if that had it I mean often when you have these stories people don't do anything like that Yeah that's it and I often think well is it because of where it is is it in a in the specific place that this is going to occur if you move the bed to the other side of the room or the other wall or you spin it round or you, you use it in a different way, is that going to cause it to calm down? Is this phenomenon going to carry on? So it would be interesting because I wouldn't be surprised. I think, as with anything, some people are more prone to being susceptible to visitations. So is it primarily where the bed is or, or the furniture that causes it? Because like you say, moving to the settee bed or the hideaway bed there was no incident. So clearly it's not some kind of sleep rhythm situation going on because surely it would continue in either place, wouldn't it? That's, yeah, that's, that's it, right? And, mm-hmm. and speaking of the, the Feng Shui
1: thing, a friend of mine actually, he experimented with this once because he was having a hard time sleeping for various reasons. And so he moved his bed and experimented with different sleep directions. And he found there were certain directions that allowed him to minimize these
2: experiences. Mm. especially in this day and age because there's so much energy moving around your house i mean it might even be how close are you to plug sockets because most of us have plug sockets near the bed for lamps or chargers or tvs or fans or whatever i think often when we look at these kind of paranormal incidents we look at the incident and don't forensically look at the surroundings
1: yeah yeah absolutely
2: and I think that would be a very interesting, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's not like home and decor special, but <laughs> it would be very interesting to see if there's any correlation between the bed position or the type of bed. I mean, even down to are the mattresses sprung or are they foam? Who knows?
1: There was a very long time ago. and <laughs> I, I have to be circumspect because this person I believe is still alive. But I had a young lady who um, was, shall we say, uh enthusiastic about me and uh i i was it was not mutual and really she didn't she wasn't really interested in me as a person but i had been through a rough patch in my life i've been poorly treated in a past relationship and so this woman got it into her head that she was going to make me feel beautiful that her, her words not mine when the cable guys installed her cable she actually gave them shit because they ran it under her bed and she's like "No, no 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 that will keep me up all night and I guess she actually had managed to suss out, because I guess it wasn't obvious, but she had managed to suss out that, no, the cable ran, like, really, even after they moved it, she kind of went looking, she's like, no, no, it's running too close. She could somehow sense or feel Mm. the cable. And I mean, it could just be she's talking shit, but um, I I think there are people who have that kind of sensitivity, and so you're right, I think we need to kind of factor that in when we're evaluating these
2: things. Mm. There is a train of thought that certain people are allergic to Wi-Fi.
1: I've heard about that. There's a colony down in, is it Arizona, where people, like, there's no uh, electronics whatsoever. Mm. There are no cell phones, no, nothing like that.
2: I mean, I wouldn't, I don't understand why some people just would dismiss that out of hand. I mean, obviously, sometimes you will get situations where people want it to be true. Right. But the human body and the brain are are such complex mechanisms that why wouldn't some people have adverse reactions to that? At the end of the day, you're just firing energy round. Some people are going to have a negative reaction to it. It's it's it. For me, it's well within the bounds of possibility.
1: Obviously, I, I don't know how much research has been done on this. It's very possible that you know this has sort of been uh, you know sort of categorically dismissed. But as you say, the air has never been more full of digital signals and broadcasts. And yeah, you know, who's to say that's not having some kind of negative effect on us? And and I, you know, we get so kind of carried away with modern technology and we sort of treat these things like they've always existed Mm. when it's all quite new. Yeah. And so to, to have a problem with it is it doesn't seem impossible. So, well, that that went a lot deeper than I thought it was going to. (laughs) You also got a little insight into my dating life before I got married, which is, well, it's not
2: great folks. (laughs) The playground voices. I remember this experience like it was yesterday. About twenty-five years ago, when I was only seven, my family and I visited my cousin and her family in Sacramento. They lived in an apartment complex in a rough neighbourhood, with an elementary school behind it and a cemetery next door. My cousin, who was the same age as me, brought me and my older brother to the school's playground. My brother brought a basketball and played at the courts by himself while I was playing on the edge of the jungle gym with my cousin. Randomly with no explanation whatsoever. My cousin said she had to run home and just took off. For some reason I didn't question her or decide to follow her, I just sat on the structure next to the slide. Then I heard what sounded like two voices, one on each side of my ears, grunting at me. I felt a presence, almost like the voices came from two people, standing on either side. My heart dropped and I wanted to faint. I screamed for my brother who was playing on the courts and before I could even tell him what was going on. He started sprinting off. I ran after him with my shoes halfway on. When we ran back to my cousin's house, my brother said he started running back because he heard constant banging against the school and angry grunting voices chasing after him. We went upstairs to look for my cousin and when we entered her room, she was sitting on her bed, legs crossed, staring off into space. We screamed her name and that finally got her attention. She slowly turned her head to look at us. She was mumbling something we couldn't understand. It was almost like she'd been drugged. My brother and I then told our parents and aunts and uncles what happened to us, and they just laughed it off. When it was dinner time, we all gathered at the dinner table, and my cousin came out of her room from upstairs acting normal again, like nothing had happened. My brother and I remember everything to this day, but our cousin can't recall any of it. Or at least she says she can't. We even brought it up to her a couple of months ago, and still, she didn't recall ever taking us to that school. I don't know if she was so scared that she just tried to shut that part of her memory out. She always seems slightly annoyed every time we bring it up, or if she truly cannot remember. It was one of the most frightening moments of my life. So I'm really interested in stuff like this, because
1: to me, there is almost something, um, and I might just be thinking this because, you know, I've been watching that, as I mentioned off air, I've been watching that new uh, Netflix series from Jordan about the gin, but. It kind of sounds gin esque to me, you know. There's this sense of of a thing kind of having dominion over a place and not really wanting you there, mm-hmm. you know. And so they just sort of bully you away because there's nothing, you know, nothing bad happened to these people, but certainly they were intentionally terrorized out of there. Mm. As you were saying that, I was going through um, I was going through April's email, and I know we're going to share April's story on a future show, but. There was, there was something in there that kind of connected and this was after a sleep paralysis experience. So a little bit different in that this was, this wasn't outside, but mm. April says at the end of this ordeal, something made a deep, long growl in my left ear. I could clearly feel the heat from its breath on my ear. And it it just, again, another example of, of something unseen, making its intentionally making itself known to cause terror. So yeah, what, what are your thoughts?
2: I mean, once again, it's one of those where you think, well, what time is it? What what time of year was it? Because this is a playground. Right. I mean, if if this playground had some kind of spectral guardian hanging about it, I don't think it'd be a very popular playground. Right. So for me, is it when they went there? Or is it because there were three of them there? Or was it because what they were doing there? There's a lot going on because they all seem to have Three distinct reactions because right. the brother hears banging and grunting, like something's angry and chasing him. The, the teller of the story hears voices at either side of him, and the cousin just runs off and seems to be in some kind of trance afterwards and then doesn't seem to have any memory of it. So you've got three kind of different aspects to it that all seem to happen at once. I know Steve from Hexagram sometimes he talks about vibration. Mm. And
1: sort of, um, what's what I'm looking for resonance. And I wonder if, because I certainly have been, I've had the experience where I've been with people who are much more inclined to, to perceive spooky things or perceive, you know, the, the sort of the subtle world. And it seems like we encounter more than when I'm with someone who doesn't, Mm. you know, someone who's really shut off. And it's almost like there's a sort of a matching of levels. Yeah, and I wonder—I wonder if there was something about the place that allowed them to, you know, it had a level. There was something there, but they had to match the level before it could happen. That's why it happened to each of them at different times. Mm-hmm. But again, depending on how close they can come to that level, determines how much of it they experience.
2: Yeah, could even be something like the resonance from the bouncing of the basketball.
1: <laughs> no, you're feeling like an internet skeptic. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, as in creating that vibration.
1: Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Not that that's what they heard, you know. Right. That's not causing the hallucination.
2: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we listen to Uncanny? What's going on? That's some, that's some hell bouncing, that is. <laughs> nah, that's what Jordan did, was it? No wonder he could fly. You heard it here first. Michael Jordan is a gin. Paul said it.
1: <laughs> the Tingler. This incident took place in 1992 in Orange Cove a tiny town near Fresno, California. My wife Tina's mother had passed away unexpectedly that September, and we were there from Reno to attend the funeral and help out Tina's dad Mike whenever we could. We didn't know that her father would die within the month. As it turned out, we were in a one-month period between funerals. Tina's parents lived in an old adobe house that her grandparents had built in the 1940s. It was in an orange orchard, and as far as anyone knew, there had never been anything else built on the land before the house was constructed. It had a large, almost square living-slash-dining room, a kitchen on one side, and a hallway, opening off the other. Along this hallway was a window looking out to what had once been a porch but was now an enclosed laundry room, a bathroom on the left, and two bedrooms on the right. There was also a door for a hall closet between the bedroom doors. To get to the bathroom, you had to walk all the way down the hallway, past the closet. The hallway had no lights or electrical outlets. A window at the far end held bits of decorative glass like insulators and jars. At night, it was as if the glass panes of the window had been painted on the outside with black paint. No light came from the neighbors or streetlights, because there was none. The night after the funeral, we were sitting with Tina's father at the big dining room table. Her sister Melissa was also there. It was hot and very dark outside, and inside the house, the lamps in the dining room weren't very bright. At some point during the visit, I needed to answer the call of nature. So I walked down the dark hallway, heading for the bathroom door I knew was far down on the left-hand wall. When I passed the closet door, the most amazing thing happened to me. For some reason, every hair on my body stood straight up, and I felt what seemed to be a massive charge of static electricity on my chest. There was no reason in the world for it. I had touched and seen nothing in the hallway. It was so strong I could barely breathe. After standing for several seconds in complete shock, I continued on to the bathroom, Where I completed my task with great difficulty, as the strange tingling effect was in full force over my entire body and was very, very distracting. I had never felt anything like this in my life, and I have been electrified and shocked by Van de Graaff generators, Tesla coils, capacitors, magnetos, among other electrical gadgets. Didn't know a magneto was a thing. This was absolutely and completely different. I walked unsteadily back down the hallway, and the effect just stopped dead as I entered the big room. I walked over to my wife, who was in the kitchen, and said, What in the hell is in that hallway? My wife knew exactly what had happened. I was white as a proverbial sheet, and my hair was still standing on end. She said, Well, I see you've met our ghost. Her sister then exclaimed, What? You knew about the ghost too? As it turned out, the sisters had many of their own experiences with the thing in the hallway, but oddly had never mentioned it to each other. When the other family members who had visited the house over the years were later asked if they had ever noticed anything odd about the hallway, all of them replied that they did not like it, and hated having to go down in the dark to use the bathroom, but couldn't necessarily say why. The area just in front of the hall closet was singled out as the creepiest area by everyone, and the ghost seemed to stay in that area, and apparently never came out into the living room. Over the next few days, I experimented with the tingler, as I called it, and found that I would get the hair on end slash shock effect every time I walked past the closet door, though the effect was much less noticeable in the daytime. It seemed to like to follow me into the bathroom, but it would never follow me into the living room. It wasn't caused by static electricity or exposed electrical wiring. The hallway had no electricity, period. Our best guess was that something had been pinned to the spot years before, perhaps by a murder or something traumatic, and the house was unknowingly built over it. After Mike passed away and the house was empty, the effect became weaker and weaker, till it was gone. Because of this, we think the people living in the house might have somehow sustained the Tinkler, as the house was continuously occupied for many years. Thankfully, I never had another experience like that after the tingler faded away completely. We visited the people who bought the house a few years later, walked down that hallway, and it was gone. I still wonder, though. The house was built with a wooden floor about a foot off the ground which I don't think was disturbed in that area by the construction. If someone dug under the old floor where I first encountered the Tingler, what might we find buried there? And that's really interesting because for, for a bunch of reasons, because one, obviously the Tingler is a wonderful name that also happens to be a classic horror film that we are both familiar with. Mm -hmm. If you folks remember, um, I don't know if you will, but William Castle was a director and in his movies, they always try, had little gimmicks to kind of, excite people in the cinema. And I believe with the tingler, they actually zapped some of the seats in certain (laughs) cinemas, didn't they? Yeah. Or they had some kind of, yeah.
2: Beware the tingler.
3: Fantastic.
1: As I was saying though, one of the things I found interesting was um, recently I was contacted by some friends and I won't say who just uh, because they didn't specifically give me the okay to talk about this, but they sent me a a picture of this one location. It's uh, at the top of the stairs and there's a, a room. There are basically Yeah, there's two rooms, one in front, one to the right. And they sent me the picture and immediately I could sense that there was something wrong with the area just in front of the door. Mm. I asked them about this and they said, yeah, they said, it's not in the room to the front. It's not in the room to the right. Whatever it is, it seems to be conscious because it feels like it's peering at you. But it only does it from that one spot, Mm. nowhere else. And, you know, if anything sort of gives some credit to what we were talking about, this idea of paranormal feng shui, I feel like that does, Mm. you know, because that's, it's almost like there's a vertical channel of energy right there. And these things are just passing through along that, along that,
2: or or something along those lines. What, What do you think? Well, I mean, if you've ever experienced a cold spot, they are quite odd. I have to say, having experienced a few in my time, especially the ones where you can literally put your hand in it. And you can noticeably feel a difference in temperature yeah. or you can walk through it. And it's, it, there seems to be a lot of this kind of situation. I mean, with certain areas, I mean, this is the thing when we talk about paranormal activity in properties or locations, some of them seem to be tethered to a specific part. Whereas right. in other places, you have things going on all over the bloody place. You know like like a free-for-all but in certain areas like in this particular story it's just this hallway that has the problem nobody has any issues next to it through it above it it's just in it and yeah. um, and it's yeah, they are strange specific places because especially this one as well because it seems to wane away and i like the thought process of it, it was it being energized by the people in the property but once again, was it was it a happy home? Was there a lot of laughter? Was there a lot of sadness? It, what kind of energy was was giving it food? If that's, if that's right, right, right,
1: right, yeah, that's interesting. Because again, we, we know so little, but as I say, it doesn't seem to be a negative thing, but it is very much, very much there and possibly fed. But then you think, is it was it starved long enough that it passed away or passed on or moved on before the new people moved in? Because obviously, the new people are going to have you know, just as much life happening as anyone else.
2: I don't know. They might be really boring.
1: There, uh, just before we, we move on, there was something I watched the other day and I, I was been, been meaning to tell you about it and it's kind of relevant to this. As you know, I sometimes like to watch urban explorer videos on YouTube. Hmm. And recently I, I caught this, uh, ad, action film called uh, castle falls and folks, if you like direct to video action movies, it gets in and out like 87 minutes. Dolph Lundgren stars and directs uh, with Scott Adkins. It's really, it's really entertaining. It's a lot of fun. said boom, boom, gone, um, you know, kill 90 minutes, have some fun. But the entire thing was shot at the Carraway medical facility in Birmingham, Alabama. Now that's an abandoned hospital. And I afterwards decided to look up to see if, you know, is it really an abandoned building there? Is it still there? Yes, yes, and people have done urban exploration of it because only a small portion of the, of the facility, obviously, is, she, is seen in the film. Mm. And so these guys walk through this place, and it's, it's only been empty a couple of years, and, but it's in rough shape. And it, it's a standard urbex video until one point, and, and they sort of hype this a little bit, that they start hearing voices, then they start hearing machinery. Well, it turns out people squat there because it's mm. a, play, a free place to live, And there are still scrappers who kind of go in and try and take out metals and things like that. So that was all sort of smokescreen. But there was this little moment when they're in one of the other buildings and they step into a room. Now, bear in mind, Birmingham, Alabama, they've been, you know, it's not a, not a cold place. Nothing unusual has happened. It's been, you know, whatever. Nothing has indicated it's been cold. They enter one particular room. One of them remarks, man, it's, it's really cold in here. Hey, you can see their breath. Hmm. Only in that room. And they move on from it. They don't really spend much time with it. You know, they, they comment on it. And you can see that they're kind of both unnerved by this. But there's something about that one room. Because they step exactly again outside. Breath is normal. And again, this place hasn't had power for a couple of years. So it's mm-hmm. not like there's a cooler running or something. It just happened to be in that one room. It was ice cold. Mm-hmm. Folks, I'll, I'll, let, I'll put it on the show notes if you want to check that video out. It's, uh, I can't remember the name of the urbex, guys. But yeah, if you check the show notes, you'll see a link.
2: Persistent dreams. We're currently being evicted from our home in Ukiah because the house is old and no longer livable. My grandma lived here her whole life, and so did my mum. It's also where my grandfather finally passed away from cancer. After he passed, I tried to contact him via EVP, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Before I talk about that, let me go back to when I was little. My brother Mark is three years younger than I am, and one day, he was playing in the back room where we keep the water heater thing. He was small, about four years old, and he came running out crying to my mum that a man was trying to talk to him. That's the only activity we ever got in the house, and I was too little at the time to understand what the heck he was talking about. After my grandpa died, I really felt lost, and so I tried to communicate with him by EVP. I tried and tried, but there was never any response and I was about ready to give up. Then, one day, I saw a shadow, and so I tried again. Nothing. But from that point on, it would feel like someone was playing with my hair. The day we got the eviction papers, I spent hours trying for an EVP, but again came up empty. It wasn't until later in the day, after a box fell from a shelf, that I got results. I recorded what sounded like a man with a deep voice laughing. I wasn't sure if it was my grandpa or the man my brother saw when he was small, but it scared me. I don't know what I expected from an EVP, but this was beyond creepy and not like anything I had ever heard before. This was no longer fun or hopeful, and so I stopped trying. It's a good thing I did because a while after this, I discovered I was pregnant and was concerned about attracting the attention of something from the other side and having it target my baby. So now, as I mentioned, we're getting evicted and have been looking for houses. We had seen many but none in our budget or even in the town we had lived our whole lives. Then we found somewhere. It's only a ten minute drive from the town we want to be in and close enough to our budget that we went to check it out. The house was pretty big, but old. We liked it anyway because it had a big yard for our dogs and it's the best we can do right now. There's a house in the back, and from the moment I looked at it, I felt a very bad vibe. I started to feel dizzy and shaky, and while I figured it was just my pregnancy symptoms, I still didn't feel right. For the first time in my life, I felt scared and restless. There was something else there, a sneaking suspicion that despite my symptoms being natural, something paranormal was putting stress on my body and causing them. When the paranormal comes up, my curiosity sometimes gets the best of me so I went to the back house and looked around. I didn't go inside, instead I just looked into the window and doors, seeing a bunch of old things of no apparent value. I also felt a chill down my spine and my hairs were sticking up. I went back to the car and waited for my mother to go check it out. Then we got the heck out of there. On the way home, I was still feeling pretty shaky and felt like I wanted to faint. We had to pull over and I told my mum what was going on and where I'd been but she said it was in my head. That night, I went to bed and dreamed I was standing in front of the back house. I could see a woman in the window. She had brown hair. She was looking at me, smiling. In my dream, I could only stare back at her until she touched the window and disappeared. It's been the same dream every night since I left that house. It never changes. I still don't know if it's in my head or not, but I don't feel right. And consequently, we are not moving into that house. Instead, I'm moving into an apartment. Yeah. I
1: mean, that seems like the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think recurring dreams are
2: always troubling, aren't they?
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because I, I, like, I don't necessarily think all dreams are predictive or, or precognitive, but I do think you know, they're, it's possible. However, I think it's always more likely that you know dreams are trying to tell us something. But if they keep telling it to us, you start to wonder, okay, what, what should I be taking away from this?
2: Often you can have a reoccurring dream and and little things change or it seems to be the same characters or the same location. But obviously this seems to be the same thing. Yeah. Almost as if something wants you to come in. I mean, you could look at it two ways. You could say, is this something trying to tempt you to come in because they want you to come in for whatever reason? Or is it something that's lonely and just wants someone to move in that they can communicate with? Well, that's
1: a great point. I think we, we do sometimes get hung up on, you know, this stuff as antagonistic because again, I mean, just media, you know, and, and and certainly we're not, we're not immune to that. I mean, we like to tell scary stories, but uh, yeah, I don't think it's always necessarily uh, it it doesn't always have to be scary. That said, there's something about this that I thought was kind of scary and I think it's not something that really gets talked about very much and that is the very real effect that. The, the paranormal or, or the, other, the other side, whatever you want to call it, that it can have on your body. Mm. You know, there's um, a friend of mine and, and I, I think he still listens, to, I think he listens to the show. So I'm going to be very, very circumspect because he'll, he'll know the story, but uh, he got very ill. And when I say very ill, I mean, he almost, he almost didn't make it out. And in the run-up to him being diagnosed with his illness, he was at an event and both him and his partner suddenly felt, I can't, I can't quite describe it, but they felt like gross Mm. and they thought maybe they'd caught something something wrong with the food or something wrong with, but then they went to go see his partner's mother, who's very sensitive. And she said, no, no, no. She said something, something slimed you guys, you bumped up against something and it, it just kind of marked you. Hmm. And she did as much of a cleansing as she could, but I've always wondered if that was what precipitated my friend's illness. Mm. If whatever, uh, whatever this was, whatever interaction they had, if that was the, the ultimate effect on his immune system mm. was to, to all to change and to weaken in the way it did. Mm. And I, I just don't think we talk about that very much. You know, I think, cause obviously I felt dizzy in haunted places before. That's, that's something I've talked about. And, um, in the previous version of the show, we would, talk about how sometimes paranormal investigators can't have heart trouble, Hmm? that it's not uncommon for them to have arrhythmias and things. And there is some thought that because you're dealing with electrical energy, that it can somehow disrupt those systems of your body. I don't know how how accurate that is, but it's Hmm? it's certainly one theory.
2: Well, I I mean, I'm a big believer in it being some form of energy regardless, and often energy needs fuel.
1: Right. So I I, I don't know. I I don't necessarily have a point, but I think it's it's always important to remember that When you're out there doing this stuff, if you're doing investigations or whatever it is you're doing, keep in mind that it's, it's, it's not entertainment. You're, you know, you are interacting with things which are not there solely for, for yucks or solely to prove to you that there's something that exists outside of your body or your life. You know, these things, they exist in a world of their own and there's no reason to think the subtle world's going to be any different than this one as far as these things go.
2: Yep, and also remember that ghosts can be lonely too.
1: There we go. Ghosts and Bren, hands in hand, like bros. (laughs) The Man Who Wasn't There This is another incident that happened to me when I was five years of age. My parents planned a camping trip for the whole family. The place was Yosemite National Park in California. Getting there took us a while, but it was a fun trip and made the drive worthwhile. Yet, on our way back home, something strange happened to my mother and I. It was dark on the return journey. I don't know if you've been to Yosemite before, but there are lots of turns and the road is pretty dark. If you're not a careful driver, it can be very dangerous. As we left, my father was driving very carefully at a slow speed. He's a cautious man. I remember it was already dark. My father was driving and having a conversation with my mother. My big brother and sister were in the back of the van sleeping, and as I usually get car sick, I was sitting with the side window open, smelling fresh air so I wouldn't vomit. All of a sudden, I looked ahead and saw a man wearing a blue jogging outfit in front of our car, walking as we quickly approached him. We just ran over him. But there was no bump, no broken glass. I I didn't know what to make of it. As I was recovering from what I'd seen, I heard my mother screaming at my father, something along the lines of, Oh my God, you ran over him! You ran over him! My father was baffled and had no idea who or what she was talking about. Mom was practically out of her mind, so Dad pulled over right away. My sister and brother woke up at the noise and asked what was going on. My father managed to calm my mother down, and he got out of the van with her, locking the doors so we were safe inside, and he looked at the front of the hood. There were no dents, no blood. No one else had seen anything, or at least that's what they assumed. My father told her that it was all in her imagination, that she was tired and had imagined it. Patronizing ass. Yet, as she described the same man I would seen, I was even more confused. How could I have seen the same thing as her, and how could we be the only ones? I just let it go and kept my mouth shut. I felt bad at one point because my mom knew she wasn't seeing things, but how could she prove it if no one else did? As my father got back in the van and started it up, I was debating as to whether I should say something or not. I decided not to. When everyone was settled again, we drove off, and out of the blue, I felt an urge to look back and through the rear window. There he was, in the middle of the road, looking straight at me as we were leaving. As I watched, he started to jog again and disappeared into the darkness. We arrived home and didn't talk about what had happened. In fact, we haven't been camping since. I mean, I've been to Yosemite, and the uh, roads they describe, they are exactly that way. You know, that my very first time going there, Nikki and I were on a tour bus. We've taken a tour from San Francisco. It takes a while to get there. It was not a great idea. But <laughs> these are narrow mountain roads with rock wall on rock face on one side and yawning chasm on the other. And we were in a full size coach. And so we're, we're on these tiny roads. And, and basically, yeah, you, you turn and it, it just all you see is yawning gulf in front of you. It was terrifying. One slip up and you are going for a very long vertical trip and you're probably not coming back. <laughs> and while Luke was digging around, um, he found some info, but we're, we're going to get to that in a sec. There's one thing I wanted to bring up, which this reminded me of, and th- this, this falls much like the story we're about to talk about, uh, firmly in the realm of, of the real world is much scarier than the, uh, the unseen one. <laughs> but I was going through one of those, uh, scariest moment in your life threads on Reddit. Yeah. And someone was talking about their friend had this moment where they were driving through the woods at night And they came across cars on opposite sides of the road in the ditch. It looked like there'd been an accident. And there was a guy trying to flag them down. And they, for some reason, they thought something, like they felt like something was wrong. Yeah. They just felt like, so so they they just kept, they didn't pull over. They said it was counter to every instinct because, you know, you want to pull over, you want to help. But they said, for whatever reason, they just, something told them don't do that. And as they drove past the accident scene, The guy gesturing to them started to look pissed off, and then about 20 people walked out of the woods on either side of the road. Mm. And what a scary goddamn thought. And you were saying that um, also that uh, on the subject of of spooky things, you were saying that Ruth Roper Wilde in one of her books has stories like this.
2: Yeah, 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 a couple. I always like stories where there's more than a couple of passengers in a car and only- half of them or one or two people in the in the vehicle the car the van wherever, see the apparition and as in this the driver doesn't see it yeah uh, uh, she's got a couple one with a taxi driver who stops his car because he believes he's run somebody over and his passenger's like what the hell are you doing what's going on and he's convinced he's run somebody over um There's a lot of stories like that here in the UK in certain areas where people believe that they've run somebody over and there's nobody there. But I like the ones where there's another one where I think there's four people in a car and they're driving down the road and two of the passengers scream. So the driver goes, oh, slams the brakes on. It's like, what the hell's wrong with you? And she's like, didn't you see that guy you've just run over? And he's like, what are you talking about? There's nobody there. And the other passenger didn't see it. So two of them saw it, two of them didn't. But they ran it. Interesting. You know, head first. So things like that are always really, once again, goes into that kind of mindset of are certain people more attuned to seeing things than others? Yeah. Or if, once again, in this case, the man of the situation tells them that they're all wrong. Yeah, yeah. Have you had your tablets today, darling? You wonder why there's so much
1: spousal <laughs> murder. <in there. laughs> Speaking of murder, something I, I, that Luke found while he was digging around for this was the story of Carrie Stainer. Yes. And I had never,
2: I had never heard of him before. Oh, it's crazy. The story's weird anyway, and then the backstory just makes it it takes it to a completely different level because they say that's the reason he ended up doing what he did
1: yeah, so the, the gist of it and and Paul, you can fill in some of the some <laughs> of the blank spots here if you want, but the serial killer Kerry Stainer, was arrested in nineteen ninety nine and they think he killed was it at least four women, yeah, in least. and around uh in and around Yosemite National Park he actually been come to be called or come to be called the, the Yosemite killer. And when they found, when they caught him, they realized he was Carrie Stainer and that's relevant because he was the brother of Steven Stainer who <laughs> I know of because he was, um, very famously abducted when he was seven years old and held captive until he was 14. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he escaped was because, uh, well, him, sorry, he escaped with uh, another boy. Uh, Timothy White was the yeah. boy's name. He was younger than him. Of course, it was a huge case. And the guy who uh, who kidnapped him was caught and arrested and tried. But they made a TV movie of it. And my mom used to talk about that TV movie all the time. The TV movie was called I Know My First Name Was Stephen," And yeah, for whatever reason, that she was always hung up on that case. And then I've discovered, yeah, the, yeah, the attention his brother got upon returning Seemed to send Kerry into like a, almost like a depression of sorts. Yeah. And led him down this road where he decided he liked the idea of, of committing violence on people or against people. What a fucked up way to prove that trauma begets trauma.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. I mean, obviously there are people that surmise that the reason Carey did what he did was because Stephen came back. Right. And it was that moment that basically fractured whatever fractured in him um, and changed him. And essentially, it seemed, I think they, say, they, they, they said he seemed to just melt into the background when Stephen re, reappeared. Because that's it. He, he'd been on his own for seven years and then Stephen came back and it was almost as if Carey didn't exist anymore.
1: Yeah, he apparently liked to do cartoons. And, and again, in the article, Luke is linked someone tried to encourage him to go to school because they thought, you know, you've really got something here. You could develop this into a marketable skill. Mm. And he just, just said, no, there's no point. It must've seemed like whatever he did was never going to be enough to overcome the story of what happened to Steven. And yeah. I actually didn't realize that the story of Steven Stanner ended as tragically as it did because he never really readjusted to life. No. You know, his, his captor who, I, who I'm not going to name here because fuck that guy. Yeah. Um, Kind of let him just, you, you know, obviously after he damaged him to, you know, to the point where he was kind of uh Stockholm syndrome to him, you know, he kind of let him run wild. And so coming back into an environment with people who hadn't known him since he was a little boy and who tried to provide some structure, he couldn't adapt. Hmm. And he died at, was it 24 in a motorcycle crash? Yeah. And the other boy, Timothy, he died at 35. Yeah. And that motherfucker who, who kidnapped them both, he lived to be 76. I think it was, he died in prison.
2: Yeah. yeah. there's an irony there. Is there ever? Sad one as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um I also know that some people like to say that obviously Carey was really into Bigfoot and I'd I'd like to say that. I don't think that has anything to do with what he did.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna bring it back to that just for the paranormal sort of uh wrap up, but yeah, no, I don't I don't think his Bigfoot <laughs> enthusiasm led to him murdering yeah. him.
2: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what Luke's trying to say there. <laughs> I'm watching you, Luke. That's I'm going to murder the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget we're, we're in the same country, Luke.
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't Luke is roughly the same size as Sasquatch. I wouldn't mess <laughs> with him.
2: Nobody argues with a car. I need an adult. <laughs> <laughs> the Melting Man. My husband and I moved about a year ago from a house in Reading, California, that I have no doubt was haunted. There were several instances where I had a paranormal experience. My mother did as well. I'll try to keep this as chronologically correct as I possibly can. The first event was before I'd met my husband and I was living with my parents while I was going to school. One morning, I was having a hard time finishing an essay for English, so I decided to go out and print what I had to show the teacher and get some advice. I went to my parents' computer with my flash drive. Their computer was in the kitchen in the far corner. We usually kept the door open that led from the kitchen to a small mud room slash laundry room because the cat's food was in there it was around three in the morning and i had just hit print when i had this overwhelming feeling i needed to look toward the back door through the small window i saw a man who looked like the left half of his face was melting off this scared me so badly that i ran back to my room leaving the flash drive and printed essay behind until daylight. The next incident was just a few months later. My mother was taking a shower, and she heard a voice say very clearly, Get out! I was here before you! She freaked out and yelled so loud my dad ran in and had to stay with her until she'd finished washing. That day my dad went to their pastor and got blessed oil. It ended up not working. The third time was a few months after my husband and I got married. We were living with his mother at the time because of financial hardships and my parents asked us to watch their house while they went to Reno, Nevada for a weekend trip. We happily accepted. My husband was playing his video games in the living room and I was watching. It was around ten o'clock at night, so we were both in our pyjamas. Suddenly, there was a loud knock on the sliding glass door that was right beside the kitchen. We opened the curtains and it was one of the neighbours. Apparently the field behind our neighbourhood had caught on fire. It took about two hours to put out completely and I went to tell the police officer and fireman what I'd seen or heard, which was absolutely nothing. I gave them a number to reach me and left for the house. I looked back and beside the fire truck was a floating blue cloud. In my head I heard a very evil laugh. I jogged back inside to meet my husband and told him what I saw. He looked outside and saw it too. We locked the door, but we barely slept that night. The last one happened about two months before we moved out of that house. My husband and I were living with my parents. An old lady lived across the street, and no one had seen her for about a week. My husband and I slept on futon mattresses on the floor, and I had my hope chest at the foot of the bed. One night we were playing cards. I was leaning against my hope chest. Suddenly, I felt it shake and heard what sounded like someone on the inside pounding and kicking the sides and lid trying to get out, and a terrifying female scream. I jumped up and ran to the other side of the bed. My husband and I looked at each other and he asked, did you hear that? I said yeah, and I felt it too. I was shaking at the time, but my husband managed to calm me down enough to go to sleep. The next day, a few of the neighbours called the police to check on the old lady. About an hour later, an officer was on our front porch. Apparently, the old lady had fallen and broken her hip so badly she couldn't walk. She was taken to the hospital and died later that day from some sort of infection she'd been taking antibiotics for. We moved out of that house about a year ago, though the paranormal occurrences have continued, so maybe it was more us than it was the place. We'll be right back.
1: Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help.
2: We're not gonna try and talk you out of self-harming right now, because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out.
1: In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the number to call is 1-800-273-8255.
2: In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT, that's shout To 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114.
1: However, bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. As always, thanks to Luke, Sarah, and Anthony, and everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's show, Luke Lore. That's available everywhere fine podcasts live. Almost said sold. That's not quite right. And uh, thanks, of course, to my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Bestel, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of the Mysteries and Monsters podcast. What's coming up on M&M, Paul?
2: Oh, well, this week we've got Schoolyard UFO Encounters, which is a thoroughly intriguing conversation with Preston Dennett, which uh, makes me glad I'm not at school anymore, going on the amount of visitations (laughs) that are going on. And then I've got uh, the wonderful Icy Sedgwick from Fabulous Folklore joining me for a bit of uh, pre-Christmas folklore and winter custom conversations, and we cover all kinds of topics on that. And then... uh, it's the return of David Weatherly.
3: Fantastic.
1: Covering Montana's monsters. Oh, I'm looking forward to that one. Montana's a weird state, Paul, so I, I'm looking forward to that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, one of uh, mine and David's favorite Bigfoot stories happens in Montana, and we talk about that. Oh, sweet. where can
1: everyone <laughs> find you online?
2: Uh, you can find me by searching for Mysteries and Monsters for all podcast apps, and also across all social media platforms, you'll find Mysteries and Monsters across those.
1: Perfect. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as largely the truth. And you can also find my show largely the truth with Brennan store everywhere. Find podcasts live. And that is a, a non-paranormal chat show where I talk to authors, musicians, uh, sometimes business professionals, and just learn about their world, learn about what makes them tick. Recently I had on uh, Brian Kelly, as I mentioned, the artist who performs as oceanography and whose music you heard in the show. And we talked about, oh, we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about, again, the, the latest album. We talked about some of the uh, the inspiration behind it, it's the, way you, it's the way you handle real-life tragedy. We managed to invent the notion of car-to-car delivery service, which I think is going to make us rich. <laughs> and uh, some logistical issues, but we'll figure it out. And all that good jazz. And then, yeah, this week I talked to the author, Brianna Morgan. Her latest book hit in September. We talk about horror, we talk about being an independent author, we talk about the uh the unexpected nature of having a Kickstarter go viral. Because it's something you know you think, I want that to eat most people want that to happen. They want their shit to go viral. But if you if you can't scale up, it can really bite you in the ass. And she talks about how that that happened on her latest project. So she got it funded, but she said it was a real, real challenge. Again, that's larger the truth spread in store, and that's available everywhere. You get your shows. And also on Monday, December 20th at 1 p.m. West Coast time, I'll be giving a talk on the Wisdom app. I'll be talking about podcasting and and really about um about how to stay the course while you while you do it. Because something I've discovered and I don't your experience is a little different, I'm sure, but um I, I find podcasting sometimes can be a very lonely job. Because the fun part, which is you and me talking, <laughs> that's probably the shortest part of the job. Yes. You know, the uh the, the rest of it, the the work that, that takes the most amount of time. And you, when things are not growing as fast as you want them to, it can be tough to, to stay the course. And so that's one of the things I'll be talking about is how to basically to, uh, how to keep moving when everything is telling you, fuck this noise, I'm going to go have a sandwich.
4: So that's,
1: <laughs> not sure if I can title it that, but, uh, yeah, you can follow me on the wisdom app. I'm a larger, the truth. And again, there'll be a free talk. All you have to do is sign up for the app and that'd be 1.00 PM on Monday, December 20th, uh, 1.00 PM West Coast time. And if you don't want to figure around with the live after the uh, broadcast, that talk will be available on either the Ghost Story Guys or the larger the truth YouTube channel. I haven't decided yet, but one of the two. As we said at the top of the show, we adore our patrons. Without you guys, we, we couldn't make this possible legitimately cuz the show's expensive to make, man. Um <laughs> we couldn't make it uh, and you know, it occurred to me, I don't know if I told you this. I I worked it out. I make t- I put out including the four shows I retouch for you, 22 shows a month which now I know where my spare time goes, Paul rock climbing. <laughs> oh man. I had to, I, care can't remember if I told you this. I went Tuesday and I maybe got about 40 minutes in 35, 40 minutes. And I was done. My arms, they <laughs> ached. I, I literally, if someone had offered to shoot me in the head, I would, I would have said, <laughs> sure, go for it. <laughs> oh man. I got home, I just dunked them in a big sink full of cold water, left them there for 10 minutes, hmm. and, you know, started to started to ease the horror, but oh man, 300 pound men are not meant to go vertical. <laughs> <laughs> Gravity is a formidable foe. But uh, anyways, so yeah, the 22 shows, uh, which is, uh, you know, a lot of shows, and it's because we have a lot of content. We have, at the Patreon, we have Host Adventures, Book of the Dead, Me and Paul, the Sunken Library, all these great shows, some of which are weekly, some of which are monthly, all of which I think are as entertaining as hell, and you can get access to all of that stuff, plus physical rewards, at patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. Again, that's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. And you also get an ad-free feed, the importance of which cannot be overstated. And of course, if you are a patron at the $20 level above, you are part of a very exclusive club. You are part of, wait for it, Ghost.
3: That's right. Patrons at the $20 level and above get thanked every other episode here in this segment. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Ethan Saragon Amanda Jenks April Bowers Cheryl Baker Christopher Kunes Hannah Brown Hannah Siemens, Ian Harrison Jackie McFarland Jade Moores Jason R. Slaughter there is literally no name more suited for this crawl than Jason R. Slaughter awesome Jeanette Patterson Gene Cupertino Joseph Murderhands Como okay that's not really his name just, just Joseph Como just Joseph Como Julia Lugo
2: <laughs> Julia Lugo <laughs> <Get out. laughs> I'm I've gone here I'm <laughs> just thinking of Murderhands Como <laughs> all right Julia Lugubrious. I'm enjoying the voice.
3: Julia Lugubrious. Just Julie. Jenna Blackwelder. Karen. Kimberly Hanson. Mara Noriega. Mark Savler. Mary Rose. WW. Matt Osborne. Peter Guns 08.5. Rebecca Brink. Rhonda. Murder Hands? She... no, none of those <sighs> murder hands. I'm sorry, I just like saying that and making Paul laugh. <laughs> Rhonda, not murder hands. Sheen, Richard, gentle hands. Easby, I've heard that. Mm. They often say that about him. Good moisturizer. Please, please stay a patron, Richard. Please, we love, we love you.
0: <laughs> lots Anyways, and
3: lots. You are the few. You are the spooky. You are ghost force. All right, guys,
1: that's gonna be way too much fun. That's gonna be a third of the show. <laughs> <laughs> For real, though. Thank you so, so much for your support, guys. It means the world. And if you want your name, uh, shout it out every second episode
2: in that segment, patreon.com
3: slash ghost story guys. And if you also
2: want us to make up a nickname for you, please let us know. Yeah. And if you really don't
1: want a nickname, also let us know. (laughs) That is important. If you guys want to get in touch, send us a story. You can do that at ghost at gmail.com. We love hearing from you. And I I respond to as many people as I can. And we read everything. That comes in. We're going to be doing a listener stories episode coming up, so make sure to get your stories in. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram as Ghost Story Guys. Pardon me. We're on Twitter and Facebook as Ghost Story Guys, and we're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. We're also on TikTok, but we don't do a ton with that, but it is still there, and we do use it sometimes. Come give us a follow. We'd appreciate it. And of course, if you don't feel like typing, you can always call The Ghost Line.
4: There's something strange.
1: Thanks again to our listener, Amber Pease, for her ghost line jingle. Again, that number is 1-888-588-6920. You can leave your story, comment, or whatever you like. Curse us out. That's fine, too. As uh, Do that as one or a series of voice messages, whatever you like. And if you don't feel like talking, you can always text 925-553-4789. And uh, yeah, I guess now this. Now on to news. Anything, anything new coming up? Any guest spots uh, coming up or are things starting to slow down a little bit for Christmas?
2: Uh, I'm doing some interviews next week and then I'm not speaking to anybody for three weeks.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I have a spot coming up. I think it's a surprise, so I can't talk about it. So I don't have a spot coming up. Um, <laughs> I think that's about it for news. Uh, yeah. Oh, we're also on, I forgot to mention, of course, we're also on Reddit. We have a subreddit, Sarah manages that, and that's r slash Ghost Story Guys podcast. Sometimes we post cool links. Uh, You'll find links, of course, to the new shows. And just drop by and say hi to Sarah. Again, our musical guest was Oceanography, also known as Brian Kelly. And the song was Painted Powder Blue from his latest album, 13 Songs About Driving Nowhere in Alphabetical Order. You can find more from him at oceanography.bandcamp.com or by searching for Oceanography wherever you get your tunes. If you want to pick up any Ghostery Guys merch, head on over to our website, ghostoryguys.com, follow the links to our TeePublic and Redbubble stores. And if you do buy something, you want to send us a picture of you wearing it, we'd love to see it, and we will repost it on our social media. Just If you don't want us to do that, I'll ever mention that, and we'll, we'll make sure not to do that. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. You can find more from him at nightharvestrecordings.com or by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by hexagram find more from them by searching for hexagram wherever you get your music remember that's hexagram with two x's not three all other music and sound effects in this recording come courtesy of epidemic sound
2: and i guess that's gonna do it well we'll be back in two weeks but until then into the darkness we are.
1: Woke up with him after a while because she said, whenever she kissed him, if she put her tongue in his mouth, her tongue would go numb. <laughs> 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 Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Not so long. Yeah. Headphones fell off
2: there.
1: <laughs> Having so much fun. Shit's getting broken. Ooh. Now we're going to take a little. Fuck me. <laughs> I'm going to take a little break. I'm going to do some more math. And then. Uh, <laughs> well, that'll teach you. Sorry. No, no. (laughs) Thanks for making me feel bad. It's what I do. (laughs) What if it's uh, a shared hallucination? Oh, yeah, how does that work? Fuck you, that's how. Okay.
2: (laughs) I don't care what they say. They were hallucinating. And then the skeptic five minutes later went, well, perhaps somebody banged on the door and he he just doesn't remember. What? He's just told you exactly what fucking happened. (laughs) And you've just created an explanation that doesn't fit the evidence. Okay, now. Straight across oh. the top of my foot. And there's blood oh. pissing out everywhere. I got- oh. right, skip. He's great. <laughs> vote for Boris. is a vote for a to Britain. <laughs> that voice, that voice just
1: destroys me. <laughs> oh, do you know the place? We're not going to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you her name because it's funny. Mm. Uh,
2: this gives you an... Well, if anybody's going to make you feel beautiful, it's that.
1: Yes. It seemed like trouble, you know? It just seemed like trouble. The Last of Sassafras. That'll be the title of my book, Paul. The Last of Sassafras.
2: Yeah. yeah. Unless you believe the mower is still alive.
1: i you going to nod my head like I know what that is? Mm.
2: Uh, it was essentially a flightless bird that made an ostrich look like a chicken. Oh, wow. It only died off about 400 years ago. Oh, okay. Well, that's not so bad. (laughs) Mm. The worrying thing about the mower is, I think they got to like nine foot tall. Fuck. Was that there was an eagle that hunted them. What? Yeah. How big was this fucking eagle? Oh, it was like a 20 foot wingspan. It was enormous. Jesus Christ. I'd never heard of it. And then Tony Healy told me about it last time I interviewed him. We were talking about it. And this eagle was, it did hunt it and that died out once because the Maori ended up killing the mower off. Oh, okay. And, the, and then this eagle ended up dying off because there were no more mowers to hunt. But fucking hell. And they, that, they they go for people. Obviously they could carry people off quite easily.
1: No kidding. Nothing will <laughs> remind you of your limited, your limited place in the uh, natural order, but a 20 foot fucking bird. <laughs>
3: oh. A hungry 20 foot bird, you know? Yeah. Let's not be those guys. No. Now on parlor.
1: It's <laughs> another thing I have to take out before Laro gets this.
2: <laughs> Is it Judge Judy? Judge.
4: <laughs> Cut. Poop. <laughs> <laughs>